The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh and Jax Bruce. Jax, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, today the sun is splitting out the sky. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it's beautiful outside, so it always it does always brighten the mood. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, I'm, I have the after effects of COVID, so I'm a bit knackered, to be fair, if the truth be known. And um, um, But apart from that, I had a very a very slight kind of um, engagement with COVID. I did not feel um, overly bad at all. So I think I was extremely lucky to be fair. So, um, okay. So today we have the pleasure of chatting with Mike Heffron, the chief exec of Under One Roof Scotland. Mike has previously held a variety of posts in communications, including policy and public affairs officer of the National Union of Students. He spent some time in Australia returning to Scotland in 2018, where he took up a role at Clan Child Law Limited as Ops Manager. He joined Under One Roof in April 2021. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. And it's uh, sunny where I am, too, so Good. everyone's happy there. Yeah, it doesn't happen a huge amount in Scotland, but yeah, it is. Um, it has been a nice couple of days. Thanks very much for joining us today. Um, so i just get straight into it. Um, under One Roof has obviously been around for, for a while, and you, you, you took over as CEO almost a year ago. Um, you have a section on your website giving advice to flat owners when choosing a property factor, um, but it also shows that between a third and half of all flat owners sell factor. Um, do you have an insight into why this is the case? Is it just about that they don't want to pay a fee to a factor, or is there more to it? <laughs> I think it's a it's probably a, a combination of a few things. Um, I think there is the I think there's a perception around the cost. Um, I don't know how much of that matches up with the reality, but the perception of the what value are we getting uh, for the uh, factoring that would take place if we were to to work with an organization rather than self factor. Um, I think sometimes people, there's sort of a out of sight, out of mind situation where if there's nothing immediately that needs done um, that they, um, therefore they just don't feel that they need it. Um, if they're just having to organize, you know, getting the stair lights fixed um, or and getting someone to, to clean the stair, um, you know, once a, once a week or once every few weeks and that's it, then they don't feel that they, that, that they need to. Um, and I think sometimes it's the, I think sometimes probably there's also just a perception issue um, where uh, they may be in a situation where they had uh, an unpleasant experience with a, with a professional factor in a previous building or something like that. And they don't know um, it wasn't resolved 
uh, in the way that they wanted it to, or they didn't realize that there was ways to resolve issues um, with yeah. factoring um, when they're working with a, a professional factoring company. So probably, I, I would say it, it, it is a mix probably of, of those few things. Um, and some of them you can, you know, and with podcasts and information like this, we can, we can certainly sort of um, address as, as we go. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, a lot of, I, I think a lot of the people we've had on um, who are kind of principals and, and you know, and, and, and work in, in property factoring um, recognize these sort of things. And, and, and they certainly, uh, we've, they talk a lot about education and educating people who, um, um, who live in, in, in properties that have common areas. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I guess the, I guess the, um, it depends how much someone really wants to get involved in it, um, because you know if you're if it's cleaning and and stair cleaning and and kind of routine stuff, then that's fair enough. But when it comes to things bigger, um, you know, I guess that's more difficult for just maybe a homeowner to deal with on their own. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. Um, there's. Um, uh, it, it, things are becoming more complicated they're getting more complex and so there is certainly there is certainly a need for um well for all owner occupiers really um and landlords that own tenement properties to be taking a look at what exactly it is that they need to be doing with the amount of properties in scotland that are in disrepair um and you know it's a that's one reason we exist as a, as a charity under one roof is to provide, you know, is that we recognize that there is not the culture um, in this country um, that you would have other places of recognizing the need to upkeep your property um, yeah. and that it's a collective responsibility and there is no one that's going to swoop in and save the day much. Um, you know, the councils do, don't do that kind of work uh, like they would have maybe done 20, 30 years ago. There aren't grants to come in and, and fix stuff. So you're going to have to do it yourself. Um, and so and organize and, and, and organizing those fixes um, is where the factoring sort of element comes into as well. So I think there is. Um, yeah, I think that's certainly that certainly is an, an, a, a significant element into it. Um, and, you know, from our perspective, the important thing is that there is factoring being done, whether it's self-factoring or it's with a professional organization, do, you know, doing the factoring. But the the issue is, you know, it's self-factoring. It can, you know, it takes up a lot of time, um, yeah. and it can be a lot of work um, in those more sort of if it's more than just getting the like you said, the more than just getting the the stair cleaned and the the lights fixed. Um, a lot of properties need a lot more sort of attention than that, um, and that's where. Um, it would certainly, um, it's worth seriously considering whether or not to, to bring in um, a um, property manager uh, to be looking out after that kind of, that kind of stuff, because, you know, it's part of it is um, you've got a little bit of uh, sort of safety is the right word, but you've got a peace of mind, I think is the word I'm looking for there, yeah. that there is somebody that's paying attention Um and that's, I think, the most important thing with this is that somebody is paying attention um, and uh, and we'll be looking into, you know, we'll be regularly checking into the property and we'll be, depending on the sort of the what their requirements are for that, that property manager, is that looking at and pointing out where things need to be addressed. Um, otherwise, there's many much more serious problems that come down the line. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, that, that leads me on actually nicely, to be fair. Um, the... the- tenement steering group um, how do you feel that's progressing and how does the number of properties that are self-factored 
affect the progress of that. And when you're we're talking about the, the sentiment steering group, you talk about the the cross party working group proposals. Is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah? So where that stands right now um, is that it, it's with the Scottish government. And just to to just um, talk a little bit about the background for those who aren't familiar, there are three proposals that the cross party uh, group came up with that were um, all agreed um, that the, the Scottish government took on. Uh, one of those was uh, five-year tenement inspections, mandatory five-year tenement inspections. Um, one was a um, mandatory owners association, so every and every tenement would have to have an owners association. Um, and the uh, third one is uh, mandatory uh, building funds. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, people would have to. The proposal was is that people would have to put money into a building fund and start contributing to that. Um, so those are the broad overall proposals that were put in. Uh, Scottish, Scottish government took it on and said, yes, we're going to take be, um, we generally think this is a good idea. So where it stands now is um, it is with the Scottish Law Commission. Uh, now the Scottish Law Commission has to look at this, um, particularly the element around mandatory um, owners associations. Um, and the reason for that is, is that there's an interaction potentially around title deeds. Um, and that might be there might be some legislative conflicts with that so they're taking a look at that to see whether or not it's possible under current legislation and the way the work that title deeds work uh to see whether it's possible to do that um and if so how would that actually look as far as a legislative proposal um and then i think what the scottish government has done is they said well since we're going to be looking at that we might as well look at the other two elements of it as well so the law commission is going to take a look at all three proposals now where that currently stands right now is that um they are just beginning uh to start to interact with um organizations such as ourselves like the plan is for april to start interacting with us to get information. Uh, this is the law commission to, to get information about what the current state status of things are. Um, and then I think the idea is from what I've seen of a timeline is that we're looking at a, um, a uh, consultation going out, um, but not until the end of next summer. So summer 2023, I think. Um, with the ultimate aim at this point of um, that legislation um, coming up to the parliament, but probably not being put forward by the Scottish government, uh, looking like the next parliament. So we're looking, I think, 2026. So we're still a ways off, which is unfortunate from our perspectives. I think we would like to see um, that moving uh, quicker for a number of reasons, um, along particularly around the owners associations issue, um, because, I mean, we ultimately think that it, it, it owners having owners associations are so critical in addressing the the needs to getting the process started to addressing the needs of and the disrepair that are going on in buildings um, across Scotland. And uh, there there's no reason why people can't do owners associations now. They certainly are. Many of them are. Um, but having um, everyone um, being required to be talking about their building will make a huge step, I think, forward. Um, revolutionary almost in the way that people will have to think about their um, their own building, their own homes and what they need to do to make sure that those buildings are upstanding. Um, and th- th- it connects up into so many different other ways. If you talk about the, um, the Scottish government's um, 
proposals and and sort of targets around energy efficiency and net zero. Um, again, a lot of that stuff. In order to do it, you're going to need neighbors talking to each other. You're need you're going to need to be people in in stairs are going to need to be having conversations and knowing what they need to do to um, agree to bring those proposals forward um, within their own buildings if they want to do retrofit work in order to match the energy efficiency targets, um, very ambitious targets um, and excellent targets, but ambitious targets that the Scottish government is putting forward. Yeah. So um, so we certainly would like to see that um, moving quicker. Um, whether or not that, that, can, that can happen um, is... Um, hard to say right now. I think part of it is probably just the law, law commission is not just dealing with a, a, this proposal. They're dealing with, of course, uh, all sorts of legislative proposals the Scottish government's putting forward. So it just simply be, may be a matter of they just don't have the the ability to to speed up the time frame. But it'll be interesting to see, particularly in this current uh, parliament and the emphasis that, that is being put on energy efficiency, net zero, um, carbon reduction um, in buildings um, and the effect that uh, those targets are going to have in the medium future, I should say, um, whether or not, you know, what can be done to um, encourage people, even if we don't get the legislation through in the meantime. Um, and the second point of that is connected up with that is how, what that means for, for factoring um, and property management. And I think, Ultimately, and this gets down to sort of a core element of, of what we're talking about, is that, I mean, ultimately, having owners associations um, benefits um, property managers um, and and vice versa from the other perspective as well. The property managers will find benefit in having owners associations, having a central contact, having someone that they can, an organization um, set up that they can talk to, that they've got a, a contact person, a regular contact person that they can go and speak to and they know, and that person knows what is required of them in order to make, in order to approve repairs that need to be done and all the rules that are around that, um, whether you need a majority, um, whether you need everyone to agree. Um, and at the same time, those owners association will have, a, I think, a much better understanding of what property managers, what factors need um, in order to bring works forward and what are the the reasons why they may not be able to do so unless um, decisions are made in that stair to go forward with that. And I think that will help dramatically as far as sort of the, some of the communication issues that happen and, um, and breakdowns of communications that happen between um, owners um, and property factors. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're right because it, it, finding a residence association in a, in a stairway in a tenement is, 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 pretty much non-existent at the moment, I would say. But but certainly the larger developments, um, um, newer ones possibly, or but just larger ones, all tend to have a residence association of some description that, that ha- has an interaction with the property factor. And you don't need, and the thing is, is that you, we have resources on our website um, that around forming an owner's association. Um, and, setting having like a, a model constitution and the you know the those kinds of issues and you know if, if you're in this sector um working at the level that that we are like you'll be familiar with the sort of the importance of having governance documents and all that kind of stuff but you know most people in their daily lives don't ever have to deal with a yeah having a, a um uh a sort of a formalized governance document uh, of like a constitution for their owners association. And, you know, as much as I encourage people to do so, and there are very good reasons why, and we've got, like I said, we've got a template on, it's a small 
not a very large document, but sets out sort of the basic sort of understandings and rules of, of who's going to be sort of, um, you know, taking note of decisions that are making and how that information is circulated. Simply just having, um, having using WhatsApp, using, you know, all the sort of different ways of that you can use even with modern technology to be communicating with each other um, is in a form of owner associations, it's better than nothing. It's much like self-factoring, it's better than nothing, is yeah. that you've got people talking. Um, and that's the most important thing. If you've got people talking in the building that are sharing information and making sure that everybody knows what's going on in the building, most people won't engage. But if you've got two or three people that are, um, that are willing to sort of just be keeping a little closer eye on things, it makes a huge difference um, in potentially avoiding problems that come down the line. Yeah, no, totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, so we've, we've, we've had um, many conversations with industry leaders in property factoring and property management. And one common theme that keeps arising is the perception of property factoring, um, which appears um, to be not so good in some cases. And there is a job to be done there. With your knowledge, what advice would you give to the industry to improve perceptions and to help reduce the number of self-factored properties? Well, <laughs> It, I think from the, I mean, it, we get a lot of inquiries um, at, at Under One Roof. And, and if any of your listeners do have inquiries, we reckon, you know, more than welcome to get in touch with us at info at underoneroof.scot. Um, and you can find that email on the, on the website. But um, if you've got a question about whether you're a property factor and you've got a question about what the rules are um, or issues related to tenement management, um, and we get a lot of people, owner occupiers um, and landlords that will get in touch that have um, questions about their relationship with their factor um, that we try to give. And what we do is we provide in independent information on those topics to both sides. Um, um, we're not taking the side of one or the other. We're trying to basically say, look, these are your this is what the rules say. This is what the legislation says. Um, this is where to find out information. Um, so there's all the formal stuff that goes on, um, but also providing a little bit more of experience from, you know, the conversations based on the conversations that we've had with with um, owner occupier or, or owners and and uh, with landlords and, and property factors about where communication, um, where things have broken down. And it largely comes down to communication um, in a lot of cases. It'll be um, owner occupiers or landlords saying, um, I've contacted the factor and they say that uh, and they've not gotten back in touch or they've given me um uh they've said stuff like like we're not going to comment on that and th and that kind of stuff so uh, communication i think is is a huge element of of the situation is that when things go wrong people are angry and they're looking for they're looking for somebody to blame um yeah. Uh, and they're also worried because they're worried that they're going to have to pay for they put a huge amount of money toward a repair that they may not have, you know, and oftentimes have not put money aside to address. Um, so I think that the, I think one of the critical elements of it is uh, to addressing that is literally is, is doing everything you can to be having that communication line open and figuring out new ways just to be checking in. And I know that, you know, um, the people that are working for property managers, like they've got large portfolios, I'm sure, and they're taking care of many properties. Um, and there'll be some properties that have, um, that require more attention than others um, due to the, the people that are involved. But um, 
But I think it's really important to look for those opportunities to reach out um, and communicate and say, hey, how are things going? Whether it's, you know, checking in, having regular sort of meetings, but also just checking in from time to time, if, especially if you've got owners association. So one thing is encouraging the people um, in those buildings to form um, an owner's association. Um, so you have that, that sort of regular contact with somebody. But having that that ability to to be communicating with people um, and saying um, and letting them know, you know, things like if they're saying, well, why aren't you doing this is, is pointing out, look, there's, here's the written statement. Um, this is where you can find it exactly what is agreed to. Um, and it'll be, sometimes it'll be people that have moved into the building and therefore they're not even familiar that such a document even exists. Um, and so they just assume that the factor is responsible for um, going ahead and doing the repair because they don't know that it, the factors has to have the owners agree. If it's a repair, they need more than 50% of people to agree. Um, they need to have assurance that they're going to get paid um, for organizing these repairs and stuff like that. If they're the ones that are working with the contractor, making sure that they're getting their funding back. Um, so I think a lot of it is actually is having that regular communication that's going on and letting people know as much as, as possible what it is that, that you are set up to do in that particular property and what the things that aren't um, and also pointing them to in the direction though, and not just leaving it at that, but pointing them in the direction of ourselves and other people when it comes to things like um, what do you do if you've got um, missing shares, you've got somebody that won't pay or can't pay. What are the options? What if you've got an empty home? Um, what are, you know, each council, um, local authorities, some of them have empty homes officers, some of them don't. What can you do if you've got an empty home and therefore you don't have the full shares made up? Um, all those kinds of things um, th- that make it, that will make owners feel that the factor is looking out for their best interests. Um, because I think there's a lot of, there's certainly, uh, I've heard a strain of thought that, you know, well, they're just looking to extract as much money as possible from us to do the minimum amount of work. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, majority uh, of factors out there are doing, you know, the best they can under the circumstances, but are doing a good job um, of making sure that those buildings that living up to their commitments to the people that are, have contracts with them um, and making people understand, you know, not making people understand, but letting people understand why it is that um, for example, Due to the title deeds, the you know the property manager is written into the title deeds, so it might you know they there are certain requirements if you want to change and 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 move on to a different um, management company if you're not happy with the services provided or, but having those communication channels open and looking for opportunities to um, to reach out to people in those buildings or even having one contact that can just check in and say hey is there anything that people are have got. <laughs> with rather than waiting for the yearly, you know, the yearly AGM or the yearly meeting where everybody's going to come to the meeting and just, you know, hammer the property manager with all the complaints they've had about the, you know, the, the guys that come and they, they're not doing the bushes right or whatever those kind of things are, is that you're, you're sort of nipping it in the mud, which is a good metaphor for what people should be doing around their own homes. To be honest with you, is looking for opportunities to, to fix problems um, before um, fix potential problems before they occur. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, all you're doing is keeping the value of your property up. You know what I mean? I mean, it's probably one of the biggest assets anyone will ever buy in their entire life. And, you know, and and not maintaining it doesn't hold the value for you when you decide to to sell. Uh, You know, I have to say it was really 
there was a lot going through my mind when you were talking there. Um, so two things. Um, we we kind of, so CPL, um, which um, I'm MD of and, and, and supply software to property factoring industry, and we were having this conversation actually before we start recording, and, and I think <clears throat> there are around 650,000 factor properties in, in Scotland, and, and CPL, on our product, we run about 350,000 of them. Now, mainly in the kind of private sector. Um, so, you know, I've been in this industry for, gosh, probably about 20 odd years, um, software, provision of software to this market. And I, and I have to say, I've never met, and I, I talk to our clients a huge amount. I do like the sound of my own voice. I like to chat to, to our clients and never ever has one of them even remotely come across as someone who who just wants to kind of get money out of somebody. You know, they're, 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 they talk a huge, and they're passionate about kind of, um, helping their clients and, and and making sure they maintain those properties properly but you know they're they're, they're restricted in so many main ways title deeds people who don't want to pay and all of these sort of things i mean nothing in life is free you know if you're not going to pay for something you're not going to get the service so you know i, I sometimes find it difficult to um kind of hear when people sort of are, are quite untrusting of, of these sort of people because it's certainly not something that that that, that i said certainly see with a huge amount of of my clients and and actually something else you said there um, and it was something that annie flint said on her podcast as well and it was all about the kind of communication and 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 it got me thinking um actually after annie's podcast which was only a few weeks ago um and it, it was something that we already had on our roadmap and and annie said you know someone phones up a factor and 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 they they ask them to go and check something and then they don't hear anything for two weeks and they think the factor's not done anything. And the factor's a way, you know, talking to the other the other people in the building, they're talking to contractors, they're trying to get prices and all of these sort of things. But just because they've not, as clients not had a phone call back, they think the factor's actually doing nothing. And 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 it and it, it certainly got me thinking, and there's fast track something that we've had in our roadmap for some time, mm-hmm. and that is kind of a, a case tracking module within our product where um, a client who puts in a... Um, who creates the case or creates the question or whatever to get it. Let's just say it's an estimate to get, I don't know, the front of the building painted. Um, the, a case will be created now. There'll be multiple kind of workflow steps through that case. And, and, and at any point where, where, where um, the workflow stage changes, um, you know, a, a text or an email will get painted to the client to say, you know, this, this is where we are now, but also, uh, you know, most of most of our clients, not all of them, but most of our clients have a, a client portal where our clients' clients, so the, the homeowner can log in and look at their account, but also to make that information available on the on the client portal as well, so that people can go and self serve and actually see how you know where the where the case is um, at any point in time. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know. We, me personally, I'm I'm all about customer service, and 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 probably because I've seen some really shocking stuff in my time, and 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 I would hope that um, that we provide a good service, but also to help our clients provide a good service as well. And I think that these sort of things, you know, people do have large portfolios, and you know, they they are profitable commercial organisations, you know, and and, and they they need to. Um, they need to interact with their clients in the most efficient and lean manner that they can. So, um, so to give them the tools to do that would hopefully help with all of that sort of stuff we're talking about. No, I, I agree, and I think it, I think that's the. I mean, the, the I, I get the impression 
from speaking with with owner occupiers and and such when they when they get frustrated is is that i mean they they think about their property manager as dealing just with them um yeah. and they and there's no reason why they should you know when they when they've got a problem they want the problem fixed they don't they're not going to be cared about the fact that that property manager has a number of other properties that they have to deal with um and they've got a lot of it's not simply a matter of just going away and fixing the problem um so i think some of it is actually and you know what you're talking about is is an excellent way of doing it is you know potentially as far as sort of keeping people up to speed and they can they can track to see where things are um and it's also just managing expectations you know and in that conversation just being upfront, it's like look it's gonna probably take a few weeks this is the reason why it's gonna take a few weeks to get a hold of people um and it's difficult as you know to get hold of some people um and um we've got um and i've got other properties but don't don't worry i will get back with you because i think if they can make it feel that it's not just a faceless person on the on the phone it's not like they're contacting if they've got a concern it's not like a you know they're calling a customer service agent and like they're just another sort of faceless person but there's actually somebody that is um you know you've got an actual contact of of someone that feels that they're actually looking after you but explains the sort of the the sort of barriers and and sort of things that they're going to need to get through. I think that that will make a huge difference actually in helping people understand sort of you know what what the timeframes are to to doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Okay, I've got a feeling that's my next question might be similar to the ones that you've just answered. To be fair, but but let's see. Um, so um, on his podcast, David Reed, who's a past president, in fact, he mentioned past president of PMAS and also the CEO of James Gibb. He talked about how the industry needed to educate downsizers and first-time buyers about property factoring because these are the kind of people who have never come across um, a property factor at all and, and, and knows what it is probably. Um, do you agree with that? And and also, what would your best advice to the industry be to kind of educate and inform them? Well, I mean, the, the, I think that we touched on a little bit, but the, the, I think the quick sort of um, way to do that would be um, – from an industry from the industry perspective is that I would recommend is point them over to us you know um, one of the one of the the reasons why under one roof um, has support of widely across the sector whether it be um, you know property managers um, whether it be local authorities whether it be Scottish government um, whether it be other aspects of the housing uh, sector is that we provide independent and sort of thorough information. I mean, the, the Annie, who you had on in your podcast a few weeks ago, um, and John Gilbert, who wrote the Guide to Tenement Maintenance, which has formed the backbone of our website, are um, there's nobody in Scotland that knows more um, about um, uh, the issues of tenement maintenance and tenement management um, than those two people. Um, and I'm getting, I'm, I'm hopefully going to get to their level at some point. I'm still, um, I still got a ways to go, I think, um, and a lot to learn, but, um, they have written extensively on all sorts of issues. And one aspect of it that has been written up and is on our website is we have an extensive section on property factoring. Um, so I would really recommend going and checking out our website. We've got um, multiple articles that deal with just, just a general overview of what is a property manager, what is their role, um, um, issues around how to find a factor, what are floats and advanced deposits, the registry, the code of conduct, how to deal with problems, how to, you know, all those kinds of issues are covered um, and they're covered extensively. Um, and they come from an organization that is independent. 
and so it's not trying to to push one side or the other. It's trying to get people to, together to to work out these problems, which are ultimately going to um, eventually address the issue that we have around sort of tenement maintenance and the disrepair of of our properties and keeping our properties um, up. And 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 that has an effect also even on on you know the fact that if we can keep our properties um, in good standing and we're not having to replace them, that in a, that also has an effect on things like um, you know uh, carbon uh, our carbon footprint and you know carbon reduction, all those kinds of issues of not having to build new buildings, but actually using the existing stock that we have. Some of it quite beautiful and part of a heritage of Scotland is to keeping those up. So I would recommend is to 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 come to our to take a look at our website to do a little self promotion here, but come to our website. That's why we exist is to provide that information to people. Um, both property factors and um, people like Dave was talking about um, that are interacting with uh, factors for the first time, because we set it out very in very sort of plain language. And we also have the opportunity, if you still got a question after you've looked at us, is to get in touch with us. And we're more than happy to, to, to give you um, to answer any specific questions on that as well. Cool. Okay. That's great. That's great. And um, you touched on the code of conduct, actually, in, in the answer there. Um, do you think the Property Factors Act has helped relationships? And do you think the act could be further improved? And, and, and if so, how? I, I probably best address the first question. I mean, I think it's definitely has, I think it has definitely helped because it is, it is standardized a process um that would have been very very varied um or in some case non-existent prior to it is it gives people a very clear set of um what is expected from both sides um but from the owner occupier perspective or in the landlord perspective what is expected um and what um from uh, property owners, property factors um and um, having that sort of clarity and understanding of it makes it um, a lot easier for people to navigate. So I think I think ultimately that's been a, a really positive sort of thing um, as far as sort of um, what um, what that code of conduct and what the legislature brought forward um, has meant um, to um, from the perspective of of owners. I think it's been um, really helpful from that perspective to know. Um, what exists and you can you know when people get in touch with us and they say they've got concerns and stuff like that we will point them to that um, every single time um, say before you're talking about bringing it to any other level particularly around legal issues um, and we very much encourage people to stay out um, I mean the first year tribunal exists um, and um, it's definitely an option if things have, have broken down badly but is to make sure though that that owners know that to go through that code of conduct um, that every um, you know, property manager has to to abide by, and making sure that that might be the best way to resolve the problem um, that they have. Um, so having that there, I think, has been um, has been um, very positive. I think for owners. Okay, and, and do you think do you think there's further improvement? Think there's further improvement to the act. Um, I, to be honest with you, I'm not yet seen that there's been, I mean, there's, there's always improvements that can be made, right? There's always ways that it could be tweaked. Um, and wow. do so. The question of whether or not you're going to be probably though revisiting the act, it's probably almost at this point, it's going to be one that has to settle in for a bit longer. And there's probably going to be another, have to be another sort of concern that, you know, if, 
people feel that it's not actually um, doing its job, whether or not you revisit it again. But given the, the priorities of the Scottish government around housing, um, it's one of those things where um, it, it there might be some tweaks, but in reality, probably it's not something that's going to be touched by this government um, currently in the next few years or something like that. Um, so it's uh, at this point, it's probably just a matter of just working out what is actually working within the code of conduct. And when it's not working, when that's broken down is... Um, using the first tier tribunal to to reach um a solution um and you know the first tier tribunal has been adapting as well um when it gets to that sort of situation where people are going through that is that that's taking more place online and certainly there's I mean, we had a, a pod we had a, a webinar uh just a couple months ago that dealt with the first tier tribunal we had somebody from property managers association allison um, we had somebody from the first tier, one of the people that sit on the first tier tribunal to talk through the different issues that come up and how to use it. Um, and it can be used obviously from, you know, from both sides, but, um, from the main thing I think that came out of it in the talking to the person that sits on that first tier tribunal panel is trying to get to see if those two sides can sit down and, you know, in a, a virtual room or a real room, depending on what the situation is and try to work it out and get communicating. And again, it just goes back to the whole communication issues to try to see if you can work out a solution to this. Has it been one of those situations where there's just been a communications breakdown of an understanding of things um, and seeing if you can work that out without having to go through any of those sort of processes too, because you ultimately want to be able to be um, working with these with each other in the long term. And it's the same thing we say with um, other owners. I mean, when there's a breakdown in sort of the, within the stair around a question around um, money or uh, any other things that come up around maintenance and stuff like that is to try to work that stuff out, to go through mediation, do what you need to do um, to try to work that stuff out before you get um, to um, a legal process. Um, Because uh, the legal process is set up for, sort of resolving things that can't be resolved. But ultimately, again, you're going to be living next to this person for a long period of time. You want to have ultimately a decent relationship with this person. And yes, you may win your particular case, but also ultimately sort of, um, you know, you're causing more yourself um, much more difficulty down the line and a lot more yeah. sort of things, um, sort of upset between the two of you when you have to live together as neighbors. So I think, and I think the same thing applies with, um, uh, with property managers and, and owners as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I, definitely, definitely. Okay, last question for me um, before we get on to Jax's three quirky questions. And actually, you've touched on this already. I don't know if you have anything else to talk about, but sustainable homes is another really hot topic at the moment, and there are some initiatives happening within the industry, but it seems that self-factoring could hamper progress here. Um, do you agree with that? Um, and do you think the industry could influence self-factored properties to be factored by going down this route? I, d- I wouldn't say that it's necessarily hampering progress in this in this perspective. Um, I think pro- one reason I would say so is because I think it's it's fairly early in the in the sustainable homes in the the energy efficiency net zero all that stuff is very it's very early days. It's going to be moving fairly rapidly in the next couple of years, given the targets the Scottish government has laid out on the on sort of energy efficiency um, in properties. And there certainly is a strong case to be made um, from professional um, property managers that um, that they can help buildings sort of navigate their way through those things. So, I mean, my my advice would be from the property management side of things is to be 
is make sure that your organization um, is up to speed on all the different opportunities and issues that um, retrofit currently um, present to owners, um, what the options are as far as sort of changing, even moving away from gas boilers to, you know, doing stuff around sort of insulation um, and the, the difficulties and barriers to the to doing those things as well. I mean, it's not just enough to say we're just going to put insulation up on a building and that'll solve the problem. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're in an old pre nineteen nineteen um, stone tenement, sandstone tenement, you're not going to be putting up out exterior insulation on these beautiful buildings. Um, yeah, interior insulation um, is massively disruptive to the people that live in the, in those uh, those places. And with those stone buildings too, there's also you know you, you can do retrofit wrong. And you can make things worse by drying out buildings and such like that, making sure there's not enough um, sort of breathability within the the buildings too. So I think um, I wouldn't go as far as to say that self-factoring is harming it. I think that though there is a lot that, that if property management companies want to be able to, um, to be attracting more people um, to their organization is provide, you know, have the information and the resource at your fingertips, because right now people, you know, owners are looking for, and I've been involved with a lot of these in just this past weekend was involved with a organization called local homes on the South side of, of Glasgow that was um, taking a look at trying to, to match up owners with um, retrofit coordinators and stuff like that. What's the best way that they can do it? What's available for grant funding, all those things providing, you know, if, if property managers are, up to speed on that, um, really up to speed on that and can provide themselves as a resource to say, look, this is what's available. This is where you can find out for more information. That would be a huge incentive um, and a huge potentially marketing tool for yourselves to, in- to increase the, particip- the participation of people um, in uh, professional factoring is to and recruiting people to it is to provide yourself as a resource for that or at least an information signposting place where you can say, look, this is where you can find out much more information on this kind of stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that's available. And these are the kind of disruptions that it would cause and the savings that it would, the cost that it's going to take to you, all those things um, I think would be um, um, incredibly beneficial as far as sort of getting people to see the, the uh, again, the value of, of professional factoring. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Okay. Thanks for that. That's my questions over. Jax, do you want to um, fire in with your Normal three questions. Yes. Um, hi, Mike. That was really interesting. Um, we asked all our guests the quirky questions, a little bit lighter note. Uh, so what's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? The biggest failure across my entire career? Um, I would have to say um, my experience working out in Australia um, it was my first role in managing people. Um, and, um, I learned quite a bit about, um, having been an employee for many years and worked under bosses, it was a much different experience of, this was my first experience of being the boss. Um, and probably, and it was, it was difficult at times. It was difficult at times as far as the, uh, as far as managing, um, uh, people. Um, and I think the, the, what did I learn from that? Um, was letting not doing too much yourself delegating stuff and i knew that that is a concept but actually just letting people get on with their work um and um letting them um make mistakes um and not providing you need to be sort of 
hovering over them and making sure that they were getting everything done. Um, so I think that was one thing that I've I picked up and. Um, I think in the in the current role and the role that came right after that one too, um, successfully um, have been able to do that. So that was a learning point for me. It was sort of letting people just do the work that they're good at um, and providing them help when they need um, a little bit of assistance. Um, but um, a little bit of negative criticism can go a long way when you're uh, an employee um, speaking to the boss. And I think I had forgotten that lesson um, and I learned it the hard way um, and have put it back into practice um, in the last two jobs, including my current one too, um, to uh, fantastic, I think, successes. I have been had such a, a really good relationship with the people I've been working and working under me in the last two jobs. Brilliant. Cool. And if you ruled the world for a day, what would you do? Oh, I would ban Mr. Brightside by the Killers. Everybody <laughs> loves that song, and I drives me mad. I absolutely, and it's a good pop song. Don't get me wrong, but and everyone loves it, and you probably get all sorts of hate mail uh, with me. So send them to info at underoneroof.com. Okay, Mike, it. it's been nice talking to you. I'm going to cut this. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's what I'm talking about. Everybody, I love that song. I love that song. Everybody loves it. There's a uh, quickly, there's a funny story in the BBC yesterday about someone uh, that had created, um, I can't remember who it was, I think it was somewhere in, it was in the UK, I think it might have been in England, but uh, they had created a, a massive um, monument to their to someone that had died, and they had done it without the cemetery's prop, like, uh, approval, and it's like this massive stone sort of um, monument to this person that had passed away, included a, uh, including a um, solar-powered jukebox. Um, and, uh, I was laughing about this with one of my friends and saying that I wanted them to do that for me. And they said, yeah, that's fine, but we'll make sure that the solo jukebox plays, uh, Mr. Brightside <laughs> on endless repeat, which I then promised to haunt him for the rest of, of, my, of eternity for doing such a terrible thing. So that would be my one thing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so when you're 70 and look back at your life and you've, eradicating Mr. Brightside out of the world. What will you be glad you did or feel proud of something you've done or you still want to do? Um, oh, stepping away from, um, stepping away from work stuff and, uh, and any of the stuff I do that, um, it would be, um, I have to, I have twin eight year olds and, uh, just being a parent to them and guiding them through their life and watching them and grow and looking um, onto what they've achieved. Uh, I'm sure that I will be so proud of whatever they've done. Um, and so I think for me, it will be um, probably an answer everybody would probably give, but it would be other be proud of, of the, the children that I have, I have raised. So they still have a lot of time. They're, still, they're only eight. So they have plenty of opportunities. <laughs> But I'm sure, and I'll be, I'm sure I'll, no matter what, I'll be proud of. I'll be. How, how do you find bringing up twins? I, I, oh. the reason I ask that is I am a twin, and um, and um, I actually got, I still get on very, very well with my twin brother. But uh, yeah, how how is it? Uh, it's. Um, Oh, it's probably like all sorts of parenting. It's it's um, it's just a little bit different. Um, it, it was it was very much of a struggle in the early days, of course, having to to manage two really small children. Now that they're eight and they're started really sort of developing into their own little personalities, uh, it's wonderful to see. I think that the biggest struggle sometimes is making sure that there's a constant need for um, fighting for attention, um, and so trying to I think balance out um, and making sure that everybody 
um, is um, getting the right amount of attention and, and support for the, the things they need and recognizing also that um, that they, the constant complaint of that's not fair because I didn't do the exact specific thing <laughs> then, that I, you know, the, the exact specific proportion of a brownie that went from one to the other and just recognizing that there's a need to, um, you know, that, that, that's okay. Um, and eventually that the, Eventually, they can make brownies for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> do they do they look alike? Uh, no, a boy, a boy and a girl. So, all oh, right, okay, boy okay. And a girl. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's funny actually because I was just thinking about this the other day. That and it's it, I, my, my it's a twin brother I have, and, and whilst we are medically uh, not identical twins, we are very very similar. Mm. Um, and you know, I, you know. I'm I'm in my early fifties now, and you know people I meet don't you know when I tell them like after I've known them for two years that I have a twin brother like what there's two of you and 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 the, the most the weirdest thing about being a twin has actually happened in COVID times, and the reason is is when I'm on a Zoom call I keep thinking my bloody brother's there because I'm looking at the screen and all, all I can see ah. is them and ah. not me, and I go no surely I don't look that old. I'm so <laughs> So, yeah, it's the most bizarre thing. I think, actually, to be fair, um, being a twin, you just, I don't know, it's just, it's its a very weird kind of, um, uh, not something I can explain, but there's just something very, very weird, but quite wonderful about having a twin, to be fair. It's just bizarre. Well, anyway. I, I, it's funny because uh, that I, I have two brothers and a sister all younger than me, and um, I, uh, we had twins. Um, and then, um, then my sister had twins oh, wow. and then my brother who was like, they were looking to have one more child and that was going to, they had our two already. And then they, they also had twins as well. Wow. So our, our family, like my, my, my parents like went from having like three grandchildren to having like 12 grandchildren <laughs> in this case for about four years. So we've got, we're just like, yeah, we've got twins all over the place now in our family. Um, yeah. So that's always, that's always entertaining as well. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Mike. Mike, that's been really, really useful. Thanks very much. And then, um, um, and yeah, enjoy the journey with Under One Roof. I, I, it's a it's a fabulous organisation. And and do you want to just just um, um, let everyone know where they can get in touch with you if they if they need to? Are you on LinkedIn and, and email? Yes. So yeah, you can find us um, any sorts of places. We really encourage. We of course have the website which has all the information. But we uh, and that's under one roof Scott. But we also um, have launched in the last year um, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, all of which can be found easily enough through Google. Just so LinkedIn as well. Um, and all of those provide an opportunity um, where we publish um, not just things that are going on or events we might be happening, webinars that we've got, informational opportunities for people to interact, but also just general sort of tips uh, that come out um, about what you can be doing in your own properties or um, what are the you know, situations in particular with, um, you know, with property factors as well as the, sort of the, how to sort of deal with the certain kinds of issues um, that'll just pop up in your newsfeed. So I'd really encourage people to, to um, you know, give us a like, give us a follow and, and share that on too, because um, ultimately our, one of our primary purpose is to provide um, information and support for all people that, um, either own a property or interact with those who own properties. Um, and um, through the information we provide, um, we um, can really, I think, collectively help 
people um, and keep the the housing stock in Scotland um, up to um, improve the standard and keep it what's there um, at a high standard. And uh, so, and thanks very much for for having me on today. It was an absolute pleasure to chatting with you both. And would recommend if you ever got uh, if you ever have any issues or specific stuff to please get in touch with us um, and drop us an email. And we're more than happy to get back with um, some information that will help you out. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks again. Mark.